Season's greetings and welcome back to Rachel Profiling. Listen, I know we've had this conversation twice and I want you to know I'm here for you. I want you to know that I never left. I'm here to support you. But geez louise, I'm sorry. I disappeared again for two months and I'm back. And you know why I'm back? Because today's episode is brought to you by a final project. Woo! Let's hear it for finals week. Okay, so today is a special episode because this episode is all about music ed and we've done this. You're you're a pro at this already. It's happened two or three times at this point where we're just we're just talking the talk of the town about all things music ed. And today it's a solo episode about how are we gatekeeping music ed? What do we do to make things more accessible for our students? So I'm in a class right now. It's called multimedia for the educator. Sounds really cool, right? Yes, very techno, logically advanced, high-tech type beat, Berkeley College of Music. Yes. So what this class entails is doing websites, making a portfolio, creating YouTube videos. And this class is taught by the one and only Jarrett Scheel. Why you might know, might know this name? Hmm. Hmm. Have we heard this name before? Yes. Because... Why did Rachel Profiling start? Because of my intro to music ed podcast. So this is just a brief little synopsis, a little background story. Rachel Profiling was originated from a music ed final project where I had to interview an educator who I looked up to. And that is where your first episode, Music Ed with Crescent Heron, comes from. So what's really nice, even though it's finals week, even though there's so much going on all the time so many projects because a lot of music school finals are project based i'm really grateful to be able to do projects and let me be creative in my favorite outlet which is podcasting because it kind of feels like i'm coming back home i'm going back to my roots so today let's get into it we're going to talk about music ed classroom culture you're in for a treat so what do i mean by gatekeeping music ed I have observed, and a a topic of discourse, if you will, a topic of that's been surrounding the music ed world has been, is studying music becoming elitist, or is it elitist? In my personal opinion, yes. Studying music is such a privilege, because how do we get these instruments how do we pay for these lessons so that we can further advance our education, our careers in music, go to music schools? Berkeley is, no, I'm not going to say one of the most expensive schools, but it's it's up there. It's an exorbitant amount of money for higher ed. There's the debate, or not the debate, I guess the discussion about higher ed in general and how it just costs so much to receive a higher education, but how a lot of the times it's inherently expected for you to be in higher education to have higher higher education pardon me so here's my whole shtick i was very lucky that i grew up in houston texas shouts out h-town see you soon houston is in texas as you know where we have tmea tmea is texas music educators association 
Texas, even though, yes, we're big gung-ho sports, Friday night lights, football, it is very supportive of the arts. And that has been a great privilege to me in my life because we've had the funding. Uh, This is also because I grew up in a diverse socioeconomic community where the high school I went to was four-story, 4,000 kids, highly funded, highly funded arts program. So that needs to also be taken into account. So we're talking today about how do we make the resources more accessible to our students? Because you think about it, I grew up in the suburbs of Houston. How do you get to the suburbs? You go on a highway. Where do these highways run through? Lower income, usually black POC neighborhoods. So we already know the funding is in the suburbs. And this I'm also speaking from a very privileged perspective and from a one standpoint of my experience in music ed, my experience in music ed in Texas. But it is a common factor that a lot of the times inner cities is where we have these high pockets, these high density pockets of black and brown communities and where we have inner city schools that aren't as supportive financially. So studying, how does this tie into studying music? A lot of the funding and a lot of the upper middle class lives in the suburbs. And so how do we get to the suburbs, like I was saying, through the highway? If you're coming in from downtown Houston, you have to take I-45. And I know that's how it is for other major cities. You take the highways out to the suburbs. What do uh, highways run through? Lower income neighborhoods. Where is the funding in the suburbs? It kind of is this whole domino effect. So we can't blame it on socioeconomic community, though. We throw around these buzzwords, uh, you know, discourse, socioeconomic. Like, I know I'm, I do this all the time, and I have become very aware of it because I love to learn new words. My words of the week right now are gauche and vat. So bear with me as I sound a little pish posh uh, as I'm trying to build my vernacular. This is also just because I have been trying to uh, prove myself in my vocabulary as one of my educators tried to challenge me in saying, Rachel, did you even grow up in America when I didn't know what the word fright meant? And how does this tie into our episode, you may ask? Classroom culture. So today we're going to talk also about how do we make students feel comfortable in the classroom in high school I was a part of the orchestra and the officer team you've heard me talk to Mr. Heron multiple times you've heard me talk about Mr. Heron multiple times something he always focused on was the classroom culture what kind of culture do we want to build for our program this is something that stuck with me a lot of wise things he said has stuck with me but this has always been a key point into why I want to go into music ed and what I want to do with music ed. You want to create a safe space for students to feel like they can take up space. That's the that's the running theme, taking up space. And I know I just breezed past a very big microaggression that happened recently within the past like two, three weeks in class. And that was in my education at Berkeley. That was in one of my classes with one of my professors because we were speaking and I was kind of zoned out and he said trite and I was like oh like tritone because this is the class where I like to talk I like to engage y'all know me I love to talk you're listening to me speak right now I want to feel like a safe space where we can learn but also have fun and 
have a little camaraderie, you know, chitty chat with one another. And he scoffs at me. And then he says, Rachel, did you even grow up in America? And I said, it's gone to a point where this teacher and I have gone back and forth and he's just hurled a myriad of microaggressions my way. Like one time he bowed at me and said namaste and I was like, wait, that's me slapping my wrist, my skin. Um, I'm like, wrong one? You got the wrong Asian? Hello? Hmm? Hmm? So at this point, I was just like, okay, where do you think I grew up? And he just laughed. He did a little awkward laugh and we moved forward from it. So a lot of the times, though, you'll have students who are POC, who are gender fluid, who are in these uh, in these communities and they might not be able to speak out for themselves because I've found the biggest way for me to advocate for myself sometimes when having a microaggression thrown my way, when being questioned is to ask them questions, which can be hard. It's hard to advocate for yourself, and it's something that takes a lot of time to learn. So how do we make the classroom feel like, first of all, students shouldn't have to be, they should be able to advocate for themselves, and it should be a safe space for them to speak out when they feel something is wrong. But how do we make it feel like a safe space from the jump? It's building those relationships. It's creating a safe space for everyone making them feel free to take up space asking from the first day like what are your pronouns having conversations about what is happening in their community you have to look at who is in your community who can you reach out to the end goal is to create a classroom culture where students feel supported and free to create to whatever that may mean music is the foundation but there's so much more that entails from that this can be done by acknowledging what community you're teaching in I had the opportunity to observe three different high schools this past semester for my secondary methods class. I went to Brookline multiple times, Needham, and Medford. And the last high school I went to was Medford. Needham and Brookline fall in the same category when it comes to socioeconomic community. It is like upper middle class, almost upper class, uh, beautiful homes, New England homes, Big high school, highly funded, highly supported. Supported, when I say that, supported of the arts. I went to Medford last, and it was a drastically different community. It was more diverse, but there was no, not not, not no funding, but not as much funding. I spoke to the fine arts director who walked me to where I was observing the teacher in the basement where there was no heat. And they don't have a choir, they just have guitar labs, which is not as in like they just have guitar labs, because it was incredible getting to speak to this teacher, because we talked about adaptive music and universal planning, which is another thing about making music education more accessible, which we will get into a little more later. But it was interesting and enlightening to see the drastic change between how the fine arts are supported based off of where you are but the thing is we can't blame it or we can't I guess rely on what your community looks like to blame the state of your fine arts program how your fine arts program is run is what you are doing as a teacher how do we create these resources for our students so they can learn so they can 
create a space that's for them, that's opening up the conversation, that's having open discourse about music, about the world around them and things that they are actively a part of and also creating content that is engaging to them in their everyday life. So another thing that I have observed in my observations is that Massachusetts is very, uh, what's the word, progressive with their music education. Not to constantly compare the two, but this is what I'm going to use as a lot of you I know are from Texas and Texas is a, a leader in music education and Massachusetts as well. But Massachusetts takes a lot more of a approach where they're incorporating pop music and contemporary music. Texas is in very by the book. It's very UIL heavy. If you know what UIL is, it's kind of like the equivalent of standardized testing, like your MCAS or um, I guess just like SAT, ACT type beat, where you have a standardized test but it's your orchestra, your band, your choir going to perform as a group where you perform three pieces and you sight read as a group. I find this to be very beneficial. I also find this to also have its hold backs, I guess, for students because not everyone's going to be engaged with classical music. Not everyone is going to want to be a part of a community where they can't really connect with the music, if that makes sense. So I'm very grateful for the traditional ways that Texas approached music ed because it made my foundation for music very solid in sight reading. And I'm doing a whole unit plan on sight reading and and just foundational technical skills. But how are we going to get these students involved if it weren't for the community that was already built when I entered the classroom, the kind of space that these students had to be good friends, to communicate with their directors. I say all the time, like, if I didn't have Mr. Heron and Ms. Chan and Ms. Torres and, and Mr. T as my orchestra directors, I probably would have quit because I just didn't enjoy violin. I didn't, I don't play violin in Berkeley now. Um, sorry, hot take. I mean, it's not really a hot take. It's kind of just a fact that I just haven't touched my violin in a few years. Um, not a few years. I like to dabble sometimes. But if it weren't for the community and the culture that was built in the orchestra program, it wasn't the music that I was engaged with. But I learned to love the music because of the people I was making music with. So let's talk a little bit about how we can get these resources, how we can build this culture for our students. We can't rely on what's holding us back or we can't use it as a scapegoat is what I've been thinking about a lot lately because y'all know me. I like to find the hot button topics. I talk about, you know, what's going on in this community, how it can be done better. And the thing is, it's like there's always something that can be fixed. And we're always pushing for more, which I think is fantastic and it's good. But we can't just be looking at that. We have to be taking action with it as well. So how do you take what you have and make the most of it for your students? I don't know. That's the thing. We're learning this together. I think a large part of it is finding things that keep your students interactive and stuff that they already enjoy to 
encourage an intrinsic motivation for them to continue to pursue music so it's like playing driver's license by olivia rodrigo having them do an arrangement to that having them do an orf arrangement to that you can step outside the box of what your primary instrument is which is something that berkeley has taught me that we don't have to abide by a strict outline by a strict lesson plan by a strict rule if we're getting them to create music together we're getting them to create community together it can feel at times like we have a lot of things working against us and that I know I definitely fall into this. I'm like, oh, well, like, there's this going on in the world. And, like, it would be easier if this was more well-funded or if we had the support or the backing of this or this looked more diverse. That is a continuous conversation I'm having with myself in my head because I go to a school where I work for the school and I love it and I love what I do, but I still have my qualms with it. And that's completely okay because I think when you care about something, you have every right to hold it accountable. And I think that can fall into how you're approaching your teaching as well and i've found myself trying to hold myself accountable and not rely on these scapegoats and these pitfalls for me to be like well what would i do in this situation i can't do anything about it. this is just the community that i'm in this is just how the school treats the program so on and so forth obviously i am in my third year i haven't had the opportunity to teach yet in any community necessarily outside of i did like student teaching at um, in Klein, in Texas, and that was for fifth graders, who I adore, that was so fun and good, and such a great experience, Klein was incredibly well-funded, and that is something I'm having to remind myself, is that a lot of students don't have the same opportunities that I was able to have, because paying for these lessons, paying for the booster club fees, solo and ensemble, spring trips, it's all a part of the fine arts, I guess, journey like what is inherent in taking part in a class but not everyone can afford that how do we bring that to them how do we get the funding for that obviously you have fundraisers you do the most you can so i guess my goal as an educator is to find how to make things engaging and how to provide that at not an exorbitant cost to students because that is what's gatekeeping a lot of music ed, I think, and what is making it more quote-unquote elitist, because the price is just right, especially if you're doing like orchestral instruments, band instruments, it's repair, upkeep, it's lessons, it's all the things I've listed. And everyone deserves the equal opportunity to feel a part of something and to be as engaged as possible. So it starts with making students feel safe, as we've stated before. It starts with building their intrinsic motivation for music and letting them create in any way that they want to, in any way they can. Pardon me, the vat of coffee is hitting. And a large part of it is making it just generally more accessible. But we also need to touch on special ed. And universal planning is something I have been learning about a lot lately. So when I went to Medford, I talked to a teacher who was very involved in special education. This was such a pleasure because I feel like we haven't touched on it quite a lot in my undergrad so far. And I learned what like an IEP is. I think that's the right word for it. It's either IDP or IEP. Um, apologies to the teachers listening to this. I got to reference my notes. I got refer- to reference my observation, my observation notes. Um, but it was really nice to speak to this teacher because it feels like a lot of the times when it comes to special ed, we push it to the side because it's like, hypothetical what if you have at least for the place where we're at right now in undergrad hypothetical what would you do if you had a a student who was an english language learner 
who was on the autism spectrum, so on and so forth. What accommodations do you make? We don't really develop further than that. And yeah, you could like have throw them a shaker. And this sounds like very like subvert the right word. I'm not sure. It sounds very dismissive. That's dismissive. I don't think I even know what subvert means. So apologies. See, you see, I'm trying to build my my verbose syntax, my my verbose vernacular. I say this very tongue in cheek. I would like to make that very clear. Um, but yeah, we were having this conversation and about how sometimes it can feel dismissive. When it's like, okay, we'll have them on an egg shaker. We'll have them do this instead. Where it's kind of like, you're just going to hand this off to them and not make it adaptable for them to actually take part in this specific lesson. So that's another way in which we're gatekeeping music is if we're not fully adapting it, creating a universal plan for our students. It all intersects in one way or another. And that's a conversation we've been having a lot about the intersectionality of it all and I think my end goal as an educator is to make music ed more accessible so we've discussed it do we have a plan who's to say it starts with how you enter the classroom I think I think I know I know it starts with how you enter the classroom and you make the active decision what kind of culture you're going to create for your students And I think a lot of that, how I will approach entering the classroom is thinking about what made me feel respected, what made me feel safe when I was in any music classroom, any classroom in general, but specifically my music classrooms, is that I knew my uh, my students, I knew my teachers believed in me. There was no other feeling like knowing that because it made me feel all-encompassing and made me feel respected so that is a big key component to creating classroom culture believing in your students it starts with you having the open so let's let's do some pinpoints to make this a little bit more organized to make it a little more bit more formatted i promise i had a very clear and concise outline that i wrote in in my little jitter of drinking my vat of coffee but let me pinpoint it for you classroom culture how do we create that It starts when you enter the classroom. It starts with how you want to create an environment where your students know you believe in them and that you truly do believe in them to make them feel respected. That we are talking not only music, but what is going on in their communities. You can enter the classroom and you can be having whatever kind of day. Your students can be having whatever kind of day. It should be a safe space for them no matter what. And... If there, I mean, this year, the past few years, let's be honest, has been a lot. And I find that saying things out loud really helps in just acknowledging things, makes things feel better. And I know when my teachers acknowledge things happening in the world, it makes me feel seen. And when they open the conversation, it makes me feel like I'm allowed to take up space, which is what everyone should feel like they are able to do. That's the whole theme of racial profiling. So now that we've discussed in a myriad of different, can you tell myriad's also one of my favorite words, of different uh, orders of how we can build a classroom culture and create a safe space for our students, I do think it's important for us to touch on, and we have done this a little bit, why it is the way it is, if that makes sense, because a lot of the funding for schools, it happens that 
the based i think they're trying to get rid of this but a lot of the time standardized testing plays a role in how well the schools are funded obviously this also happens like based off of like what kind of community you live in what the pto pta looks like um what's the fam like the parents engagement in the communities and what are the districts doing uh where are they putting the funds but uh it is a disparity to base a lot of funding off of standardized testing because if the students don't have the resources or the educational support to do well on their sat to get sat tutoring act tutoring then they're not going to get the funding for the school for the arts program and obviously this is like a hypothetical but it's something to keep in mind and then how that plays into outreach and who is going into the schools where there is minimal funding a lot of student teachers a lot of undergrads they're going to go student teach in communities that look like where they came from so if you're having these berkeley students who grow up in like middle class upper middle class communities they're going to go into those same communities and then it just becomes a cycle if that makes sense so it's something to keep in mind and like the basis of this episode is we can't let these things hold us back and we need to stride forward to create the best environment that we can for our students because some things we just genuinely can't control and so how do we pioneer forward from what is inhibiting us to making resources accessible so to go back to the whole like highway car analogy situation because i know i started with that and then i kind of pivoted away my point with that is if you want your students to have or go to a school that is highly funded highly supported in the arts or stem or you know this can go for any you know what the focus is but we're talking about music ed so we're going to focus on music ed these schools that have this kind of backing that has this kind of support are in the suburbs how do you get to the suburbs on the highway how do you get on a highway in a car i hope i hope none of y'all are walking on the highway what's on the highways tolls and these highways run through lower-income neighborhoods which usually happen to be black and brown neighborhoods communities so my point with this is just that you have to think about the grand picture and i think it's important that we diversify how we're teaching and look at the neighborhood you're in and then as undergrads like try and step out of the box of what we're comfortable with and what we grew up with so for me it's keeping in mind that i grew up from a very privileged standpoint uh in a privileged situation where the fine arts are highly supported so how do i take a situation where maybe the choir is on the back burner for the schools uh just like where it stands in the forefront of their mind you take what community you have and you create a culture where the students feel supported and where they're excited to learn and they have the intrinsic motivation to do music in any form and if some days you just want to talk and or not you but like if students just want to talk about what's going on you let them have that space to be able to take up that space because i'm glad this has become more of a common topic There's so much going on in the world. And I don't know if this has trickled as much into like secondary education, but it's been a big point of contingency in at least my time at Berkeley and higher ed in general from who I've talked to and my friends at other schools is that 
it's becoming more open to talk about what's going on outside of the classroom and how do we balance it all because there's always going to be life things happening outside of the educational facility so your classroom should be a safe space for your students so it's time for the second half of our podcast where i get a second opinion second opinion Oh no. Season's greetings. It's my roommate, Levi Cooper. Hello, 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 hello. He is also regular on the podcast. What can I say? It's all the returning guests today. This is a full-blown Rachel Profiling Finals episode. How are you feeling about Finals Week? I'm feeling all right. I really really only have like one, maybe two classes that I'm like, ooh, about, you know? But my finals have been pretty uh, spaced out, which is nice, so. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like all of mine were project-based, so now I'm, yeah. I am played myself, but it's okay. It's like in a fun and creative educational way. Yeah, exactly. To where like I just got all the creative juices flowing and one night, and that one night happens to be... It's a concoction. Yeah, the concoction. Just like I got my um, vaccine, or not my vaccine, I've been vaxxed. That, put that on the record. Put that on the record. <laughs> put that, just stay in that, just, just, just for be the, sure. For the record. I got boosted, and I got my flu shot at the same time. And two different arms. Felt like someone just picked me up and took a screenshot with my body. The perfect storm. The perfect storm, truly. But let's talk about what we're talking about today. Levi, we're talking about music ed. And we're talking about how music ed is being gatekept. Mm. Not to use a hot topic buzzword. Gatekeeping. True, though. Mm, mm. So I know I've talked to you about this to you, mm. just like in our regular conversations, our roomy day to day conversations. You know. Just minority a little, house things. Yeah, minority house things. Yeah. yeah. So I want to ask you, <coughs> did you feel safe in your music ed classrooms? Did you feel supportive? Like, what was the classroom culture? And also give, like, background of, like, where you're from so they know. So I'm from Cape Cod, Massachusetts, um, small town vibes. Um, and so I went to, like, a private Catholic school, like, prep school for, like, four years from middle school. Did not like anything about that, um, and I wanted something completely different for high school because I just wanted like the biggest public school in the Cape. So I went to Barnstable High School. Um, can I say that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, unless you don't, you want me to cut it out. No, no, no. That's fine. Yeah. If you want me to dox you. No, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I went to Barnstable High School, and I'm pretty sure it is the biggest public school in Cape. Either that or Nauset. I'm not really sure which. Um, but the music department there was good for the Cape. Um, there was one specific teacher that I really did enjoy because she was always super supportive. I still keep in touch with her now. Like, she's always just, like, her classroom just had a very, like, open space. Um, she's very aware about, like, a lot of topics, which is really cool. Um, and she actually knows Jarrett. Actually, oh, yeah. I don't know if I told you that. Well, Jarrett's listening. Jarrett, if you know Megan O'Connor, she I she was my um, music tech teacher in high school and ran some of the um, bands there. I love her. She's fantastic. Um, she's the one who I, like, really kept in touch with. <clears throat> um, and then there was, like, our, like, choral teacher who was very nice. Um, and then our, like, department head who also, like, ran, like, the concert band and, like, marching band. He was... I just don't think that he was approachable, um, like, at all, mm-hmm. ever. Um, there Specifically, like, there was one kid, <clears throat> like, throughout my four years of high school, he's a year younger than me, and he has autism, and I feel like he wasn't really prepared to assist that student in the way that was necessary, so I feel mm-hmm. like he kind of just 
neglected him, which, like, sucked, because yes. he was a really yeah. bright kid. Um, and also, you know, I, he's just... I think he kind of has his own, like, opinions about certain things that gets in the way of the way he conducts his classes. Mm. Um, and I remember, like, going through, like, college auditions and applications. I mean, I really, I literally only applied to Berkeley because if after I found out <clears throat> about Berkeley, that would have decided whether or not I was going to go here or go to school in Ireland because I was really thinking about going to school in Ireland. Um, and I asked him to write a letter of recommendation for me in person and he wrote it down, like, on his little paper, on his little, like, list of, like, letters to write. And I sent it, like, through, like, the college board thing, like, in our high school. Like, you know how, like, you get, like, that thing where you have to, like, has, has like, all of your applications. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like, that kind of program, yeah. yeah. Um, I sent him the request through that, and he never wrote it for me. Oh, wow. And, but he did write another letter of recommendation for another student. And mm-hmm. the only reason that it makes me upset, not to be like, oh, well, he didn't write one for me because, yeah. honestly, I could really care less because I'm, I'm here today and that's yes. all that matters. Yeah. Um, but I was very invested in the music department. I was in marching band. I was the drum captain of marching band for, like, three years of, like, um, high school. Uh, I was in jazz band. I was in orchestra. Like, I did a lot of, you know, the all-cape, like, type of thing because yeah. you know, there's, like, all-state. We had, like, an all-cape kind of thing. Um, which is just like a local festival. So and I was just like really involved. Like I would do a lot of like other, you know, stuff through the school and um I was in like Triumph and stuff like that. So it just kind it was just kind of like a slap in the face, you know, because I I was just really invested and it would have been nice to sort of have that support. Um and I think going from high school to Berkeley, the change was <clears throat> very different because at Berkeley, obviously, there's sort of this level of, like, expectation of what a student should bring to the table. Yeah. But I think sometimes that is over, way over a lot of our heads. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, with me, my private instructor, Jackie, is fantastic. I studied with him since five weeks, like, 2018. He is, like, honestly, like, a family member to me. Like, he's just, like, always been, like, super supportive of, like, me and, like, being trans. Like, he's always been, like, super um, had my back. Um, <clears throat> but then, like, when it comes to, like, some of my core classes and, like, um, some of the composition classes I've taken and, you know, stuff like that where it gets more, like, academic. And not to say that PI isn't academic, but, like... The core music the classes core that music make up, classes. like, the theory and what would constitute in other schools is, like, core curriculum, like, staff yeah, curriculum. I feel like with a lot of those teachers, it's my way or the highway mm. because I feel like... And I, f- I just feel like a lot of teachers at Berkeley, not to generalize, but in my experience, I've had a good handful of teachers who are really just hired based on their experience, which mm-hmm. is great, but I feel like they don't know how to teach a class and they don't know how to be approachable to their students. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I had that teacher who literally wrote on my paper and he was he wrote on the back of my um, homework assignment in this like bright red ink. And he said, according to my records, you were in class when I explained this. Did you not hear what I said? Yeah, that's not okay. And and he's he's been, he's had the, a very bad attitude, like, since the beginning of the semester. And I, I kind of knew that going in. Um, but he was, like, the only, like, teacher that I could really get for that class, which kind of sucked. Um, and it just made me, like, not want to show up to class. And, yeah. like, personally, like, I just don't like when teachers are not approachable yeah or they get frustrated when you ask them questions or like you know like I get like we're in college and you know it's it takes a lot to get to Berkeley and it you have to you have a lot like at Berkeley like Berkeley students are great and incredible but I feel like 
there shouldn't be so much expected of us. Like, I shouldn't just, like, fucking know. No, you uh, can curse. Okay. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, should, I, don't, I don't think Jared minds. <laughs> okay. I, sh- I should not fucking, like, know how to do counterpoint, like, the second I arrive. Yeah. I think the classroom should be a safe space. Well, I talk a lot about, like, in this episode, we talked a lot about where is the line where we we don't use whatever is hindering you outside of the classroom, like what socioeconomic community your mm. school is in. What does your community look like? What's the funding like for the school? How do you not that how do you let that not be a scapegoat for your teaching and for your students? And a lot of that stems from how you enter the classroom and how you are designed to put trust into your students and make them feel like they have a positive classroom culture. Because <clears throat> I think that in education, especially in music ed, that is where a safe space should be for students to be able to take up space and mm-hmm. to have open conversations about, yes, the music, but also what is happening in their communities and so that they feel supported. Because I think, I mean, I tell, like, I say this all the time, I think the best gift you can give a friend is support. Right. And I think that also translates into teaching mm-hmm. and just support in general to feel like your educators trust and believe in you. And I do agree with you that I feel like this semester, everyone I've talked to this semester has been bam, bam, bam. It's been so bad. <laughs> because... It feels like we are wanting a sense of normalcy, I think, is what everyone wanted. So then it's like we all went full force. And there's already this level, like this unspoken standard at Berkeley. Yeah, especially with the transition from online to in person. Mm -hmm. I feel like, at least in my experience, pretty much all of my teachers, or at least a good majority of them, have just expected us completely to be like mentally okay and like back to normal like nothing happened. And I, I think, I don't really think it's like anyone's fault I think it's just, like, we just want to, like... Continue being musicians, go about our business. Yeah. But the reality of it is we need to be very conscious of what's going on outside the classroom and what's going on around us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think a lot of... At least in the... I don't know what it's like for... Because you're film scoring. Yes. And so you do, like, a lot of comp classes, stuff yeah. like that. I think talking to the music ed department, it seems like they are very in touch with what's happening outside the classroom for students' personal lives and what's happening. But also... It's keeping in mind, like, we're in higher ed. I don't know how much this translates to, like, high school. Like, I wonder if they're having these same conversations. So I want to ask you, having, being a Berkeley student Mm -hmm. and having the opportunity to study music at a higher education level and being able to have classes and be very active in your high school in Cape, do you think that studying music is becoming elitist? Yeah, I do think it is because I feel like there is this push among like young musicians and like students and teachers to constantly like be doing something and like putting something out and I feel like there's this kind of like unspoken thing where if you're not doing that like it's not enough and like mm-hmm. you're never going to make it anywhere and if you're not like networking and making all these connections which I'm like so fucking sick of hearing um, cause like obviously that's good, but it's just like tiring. There's a lot more depth to that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think there's like this kind of like unspoken, like, you know, if you're not constantly grinding, you know, you're not doing enough. And I Crystal think. culture. Deep cut. Yeah. <laughs> deep cut. <laughs> but yeah, I think that, um, studying music is becoming more elitist and I think it's kind of, I mean, I think it's kind of always been that way. I mean, even at Berkeley, like the theory classes here are so westernized. Yes, that's a very good point. Which, like, especially in, like, comp classes that I've taken, like, counterpoint, techniques of tonal writing, like, both tonal harmony, both counterpoint, um, like, harmony, 
um, instrumentation and score prep, all of that is like very like European centralized from yeah, like hundreds of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was actually talking to another film scoring major like the other day, like on like DMs or whatever. And um, we were just like talking about like how a lot of film scoring music even now is like not even like orchestral. It's all like synths or like, you know, different stuff. Anyway, back to the question. Um, but yeah, I think it is pretty elitist. Um, especially like kind of how you were talking about like a little while ago about how like we, there's like so many other like, you know, people from other countries who compete in their countries then to get here. Yes. Yeah. I feel like... That's something that my private lesson teacher really emphasized when I was in high school. Um, she was like, Rachel, these kids are like quite literally like fighting for their lives for like their education to yeah. get like a student visa so they can come study here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I agree, like it is very Eurocentric and that kind of is just the generalization of like a lot of education and a lot of like yeah. we go to school in Boston. It's a... Yeah. It's a... <laughs> It's a no, colonizer it's city. A, yeah, it's not a it's very a colonizer diverse city. city. We can yeah. be pretty straight up about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, like we learned the other day about how Boston didn't integrate their schools till 20 years after um, Brown v. Board of yeah. Education. So yep. it's taking that stuff from like what's happened and what it looks like outside and then still pioneering from what we have. Right. What we can take that we already have in our classroom and how we make the students feel safe is mm-hmm. a general synopsis of this episode. And right. So how do you think that we can make, from a perspective of someone who's not an educator, how would you feel more comfortable in the classroom? And how do you think we can make education, music, ed more accessible? Mm, that's a great question. Um, well, honestly, like, as a trans person, and literally, like, kind of having lived on, like, both sides of this, like, sort of, like, binary thing, I think mm-hmm. it's been interesting to sort of see the way that female and male students are treated differently. Mm. Um, because, like, like for example, um, like, before I came out as trans and started my transition, like, being, like, a, quote, female drummer was, like, fucking rare. Yeah. You know, like, I had an older lady come up to me one time after playing a gig, and she was like, you know, I always wanted to learn the drums when I was younger, but I couldn't, so I had to learn the flute. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um and then, you know, like, during my transition, I was called, like, a gender experiment in the practice yeah. rooms and that yeah. whole thing. And then now, it's, like, fully being male. It's inter- it's interesting in, like, kind of a bad way to see how male-dominated Berkeley is, let alone, like, the music industry. Um, but I think that in terms of, like, making it more accessible, I think that we need to actively just have more, like minority groups in like like we need to have more women in studios we need to have like i mean fucking like trans women have pioneered like mp and e mm-hmm. and like all that like electronic design stuff for so long um and also i just think sorry i'm like losing my train of thought right now no that's that's the point of the podcast it's free-flowing um, it's conversation yeah i don't know i just think that if we all just genuinely have, like, more... This sounds, like, basic, but, like, genuinely having more of an open mind and, like... I think... Not even just about having an open mind, but I think having the ability to be okay with being held accountable, Mm -hmm. I think, is something that is important because I feel like if you can't, like, have a conversation with somebody about, like, something that they said or, like, whatever, 
then that's a problem. Yeah. You know, and then if you feel like you can't talk to your teacher because they said something problematic, that's a problem. Yeah. You know, because then you feel like you can't, you know, talk to your teachers about stuff or, you know, whether it was about like a certain situation or like a homework assignment or whatever, you know, and that's not okay. Um, yeah, I don't really know where I was going, but. No, you made so many very good points <laughs> on that, especially I love hearing your input because um, I think something that we need to start talking about more in education that we haven't is using pronouns in the classroom and yeah. gender identity mm-hmm. and just acknowledging that because mm-hmm. I think it hasn't been discussed a lot. Yeah. And I think it's still like they're trying to figure out how to navigate that when I think the best position is to have people who are non-binary, people who are trans actually being able to take up space in the classroom right. and initiating that from the start, from like early education, being having them introduce like, hey, like what are your pronouns? Making right. that also feel like a safe space for every marginalized community. Yeah, definitely. Especially at Berkeley where like I feel like I'm probably one of the only trans people who has not been dead named by yeah. the school. Mm-hmm. Which is awful because I've been I mean, I've been dead named in practically every other situation. I worked a job for a year and a half that I had to quit because I just kept being dead named. Um but yeah, I, I think it's just about having more representation because I feel like when you actually have, you know, students who have teachers that like look like them yeah. or you know identify the same way they do or can have like conversations it just makes it feel so much more safe yes you know yeah i never realized how diverse houston was until i left yeah. i think about that quite often um coming from like the perspective i can speak on on being a person of color mm-hmm. is like going from that and then going to what i feel like berkeley honestly is a pwi um like a predominantly white institution yeah um, and not really getting to see people who look like me in the classroom mm-hmm. or just see people of color in the classroom a lot. Yeah. It, it has been a point of like conversation this semester where I've had to be like, oh, I felt tokenized in the classroom. Yeah. And I've had to advocate for myself. But like we were speaking about earlier, some students, they don't know how to advocate for themselves. So we have to, from the jump, make it a safe space for them to speak out and then that they should also be seeing themselves in the classroom. Um, like I touched on earlier, I talked about accessibility mm. and special needs and how it feels like a lot of the time we are very dismissive. Yeah. We is a very much a generalization because they're teachers who make special at their full focus. Yeah. And it's been great to learn a little bit more about that. Um, but it's like, hey, like we're going to hand this kid an egg shaker. Right. And that is like your adaptive plan right. for the lesson. Yeah. How do we make it so they are actively engaged and not doing like a side project and actually part of the lesson like you were speaking about the student from your class in high school that's another thing too though like it shouldn't have to be like the student's job to advocate for themselves exactly like i was talking to one of my friends who's trans and she was talking about how um the teacher like used the wrong pronouns for another student and like quietly i guess like tried to correct the teacher but i guess the teacher didn't hear and then like another student got upset because like the other student thought that like she wasn't like standing up for the it was like a whole thing but it's it's just so like mentally exhausting having to like correct a teacher Mm -hmm. or like have that conversation like having to explain to somebody why being called a certain name is triggering because it's like oh I was forced to be this person for like 18 years of my life like it shouldn't have to come from trans people or like a minority like all the time Mm -hmm. you know what I mean or like if like a teacher threw like 
uh, like a racial like microaggression it shouldn't have to be the the person of color's like student like their mm-hmm. job to like be like hey that's shitty yeah you know what i mean we should just be advocating for each other but it's like it's to, yeah it's that this is like a conversation you and i have had yeah over and over in the house about it's like it's not it shouldn't be the person of the marginalized group to have to always speak out for themselves because it's yeah. exhausting yeah and, and i think that like especially like if other students can even if like say like you were in class and like a teacher like said like something that was like racially microaggressive right even if like the another student was like hey teacher don't say that even if even if after class they were like hey i just want to make sure that you're okay like do you need anything i feel like that's also good like it doesn't always have to be like teacher you need to it doesn't have to be so like it's like an educational standpoint yeah yeah because i think i mean i say all the time like confrontation is communication yeah. It's all about tone and wording. And I think like you were saying earlier, it's like being able to hold accountability yeah. for that and to be like, okay, I made that mistake. Now I'm going to move forward and learn and grow from it. Right. Yeah. We're, so creating, a safe, we're creating a safe space. <laughs> we're creating a safe space. So true. Do you have any other thoughts, questions, qualms, queries, concerns about education? Before we wrap up for today, I feel like we've, we've covered every basis of accessibility in music ed well i yeah. hope so um and then just the general synopsis of like how do we not gatekeep music education i think it's just important to understand that like everybody's at different levels yeah and i feel like sometimes like a lot of teachers especially like a lot of like primarily the older white teachers if i'm being honest yeah especially in the composition department um are just very much like my way or the highway because i mm-hmm. learned it this way and this is how it needs to be done and I don't know, like, it's just kind of frustrating because it's like, okay, we go to music school, this is fun and awesome, but then it's like, okay, here's music, you can do whatever you want, it's free, it's music, do whatever, but also here are all these rules that you need to follow, you know, like, in terms of, like, composition. Like, think of Counterpoint, it's like, you know, here, this is music and it's great, but you need to follow all these rules. Yeah. You know? Anyway, that's, like, a whole thing, but... um, But, yeah, I think it, it definitely is is kind of elitist especially at like a place like berkeley where it's like so like renowned and like yes there's so much success to come from the school which is fantastic but you know we're more than just that and you know not every single student is going to be a fucking grammy award-winning artist i caught that at the concert tonight i don't know if you heard that when they were emceeing so levi performed at at his show i did i did uh but i i catch like i think it's just a wording thing and how you view Berkeley, because now we're on the topic of Berkeley, so I feel like we can talk into it. Yeah. Um, one of the MCs tonight, he was speaking and was like, Berkeley has made a yeah. lot of the biggest artists in the industry, which is true. And then he switched it. He stopped himself. And he goes, has been a part of these artists' journeys. And I was like, that is really interesting. I feel like Berkeley's a filter. And, it's not yeah. a, like, factory. It's exactly. Ooh. Ooh. Hey. Oh. Hey. hey. Someone the, put that the on the audio. <laughs> it just, it like, sparks. lit up that whole thing. Yeah, no, I feel like Berkeley is it's a filter, not a factory. Like, Ooh. I feel like before you get to Berkeley, like, you're building so much as a young musician. I feel like Berkeley is where you take the time to learn and grow and, like, experience different things. Because, like, once we leave here, like, there's never going to be a, a period in our lives where we're going to be around this many, many musicians, musicians mm-hmm. you know? And so, like, I Berkeley can give you the tools, doesn't always, but it can give you the tools necessary to be successful, mm-hmm. you know? But also... 
success comes from within personally speaking i just feel like that's like you know what i mean like at the end of the day you can be at berkeley for four years but if you're not waking up if you're not practicing if that sounded really morbid if you're not get like getting out of bed that's what i meant (laughs) if you're not practicing if you're not auditioning like if you're not doing your homework like nobody else can do that but you yes berkeley can't do that for you yeah you know it's about drive it's about drive it's about about Anyway, well, thank just remembered you. your professor's listening. <laughs> hey, Jared. I mean, Jared, Jared's, Jared's cool and always. He gets it. Yeah, he gets it. And this gets is like, it. I started this podcast, I was like, this is a very educational episode of racial profiling. But then I was like, this is racial profiling. We're going to racially, well, <laughs> we're not going to oh. racially, we're going to racial profile. <laughs> not racially. No, not no. racially. No. Yeah, and I was talking about how this podcast began from projects. So it, yeah. it feels very like full circle right now. Yeah. Which is really nice. True. Thanks, Jared. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. Shouts out. Well, thank you for being on the pod again, Levi. Hey, thanks for having hey, me. Hey, I know you'll be back. I'll tell you this, I'll tell you I'll that. I'll right. tell you that. We have to also tell them about how we are in our friendship. But that oh. is more like a more silly episode. Oh, we, I can care. We, I can go. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this episode of Rachel Profiling. It was a little educational. It was a little wacky. It was a little everywhere. It was a little fun. It, it was, was just a, little... a conversation in our house. It's just a, It's just another conversation in the minority house. Just another night. Mm-hmm. Just catching up. Shooting well, be sure to subscribe. Oh, it's been a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't podcasted in like two months. Um, you can listen to Rachel Profiling anywhere. I don't think I usually do an outro. That's What, what, what am I trying to do? I don't do an outro. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for listening. I hope you this. Oh, wait. What's your dream? My dream? Yeah. Like, That's my favorite question my to ask everyone at the end of an episode. What is your dream? Uh, what is my dream? It can be anything. It can be like career based or just like Levi based. I think my dream based. is to. I think career wise, um, obviously being a film composer would be epic. Yeah. But also, I'm kind of on that singing songwriter shit lately. Yeah. I'd be singing songwriting. It'd be cool to like go on tour. <gasps> I don't know, like if I ever like actually like release like an album and more music, I think that'd be cool, which I will do. But yes. Um, keep an eye out. Keep Get an eye out. Records. Ayo. Um, but I'd also love to like play drums for like a band and go on tour. Do that. That'd be cool. Um, I know I'm gonna. I want to move out to London after college. Mm, I don't want to go to New York or LA. Town. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about Ireland? Well, that's for later. Yeah, I definitely want to live in Ireland. That's like my dream, like my actual dream of mm-hmm. all time. Um, also, besides like going to like national parks and shit, obviously, because mm-hmm. I'm a crunchy motherfucker. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely my dream is is just to have a little cottage in Ireland or something, or you know. I don't know. I don't really. I just want like a simple, happy life. Aww. You know, because I feel like that's really tender. I've just like struggled for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm only twenty, but like for eighteen years of my life, like yeah, I just, that like, doesn't diminish. Didn't want to like be here. So it's just nice to like actually like be here. Yeah. You know, and I can actually just do whatever I want now and like fully live in that. Yeah. Well, I'm happy you're here. Thanks. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to Rachel Profiling. I'll see y'all next week. And guess what? I'm going home. Hey. That's right. I'm going to Houston. <laughs> so be expecting a lot of episodes where it's just going to be us talking with the friends from home. Hey. How exciting is that? Hey. Hey, yo, maybe I'll make Mr. Heron do an episode with me live. 
true. Mm-hmm. That'd be that'd be Anyways, good. Thank you, Jarrett, for listening. Thanks, Jarrett. Um, thank you, Jarrett, for having me do this project and creating the podcast. And thank you all for tuning in. Toodaloo! Bye!